Dr. Joya Crayar Perry is the founder and president of the National Birth Equity Collaborative, a U.S.-based nonprofit that is focused on the sexual reproductive health and well-being of Black women. In her career as an OBGYN, Dr. Crayar Perry witnessed firsthand the disparities experienced by Black women and birthing people, as well as children dying during childbirth and the postnatal period. She joins us here today to discuss the recent decision of the Supreme Court of the United States, which declined an emergency request to block Texas Law SB 8, a draconian law that will radically restrict access to abortions in the state. For those who are not immediately familiar with the decision, I recommend taking a look at some of our other coverage, which breaks down the legal reasoning and background behind it. Dr. Kriar Perry, thank you so much for joining me and sharing your expertise with us. Thank you for having me. For some of our listeners who may not be acutely familiar with the context, could you give us a brief overview of the state of abortion rights in the U.S.? Sure, sure. And, you know, although we love to brag about being the land of the free and the home of the brave, we do not operationalize um, what's called a human rights framework. Um, we are still, since the, um, the Civil War, we've still been having this balance between states' rights, um, which you'll hear a lot people talk about in the United States, the rights of the states versus human rights, the rights of individual human beings and, and what they need and deserve to thrive. Um, and so you see that tension play out when it comes to abortion rights. Um, back 50 years ago, uh, a law was passed, the Supreme Court upheld Roe v. Wade that said that um, abortion was legal in the United States of America um, under the age of viability, that the state's duty to protect a fetus occurred after viability. Um, and so what we've been litigating for the last 50 years, though, is what that term viability means, how that shows up in different states' policies. So we've had states like my own state of Louisiana in the past who've um, decreased the age from viability down from when it was originally 28 weeks to uh, 15, 12. This recent law in Texas, six weeks. So then you have to ask yourself, what is the that the state feels like it's protecting um, when it's protecting a fetus at six weeks if a mother has been subjected to rape or incest? And just to quickly follow up, what do you think the state is protecting? Mm, the state is protecting white supremacy culture, right? So since the beginning of this country, um, there's been an idea that certain people should have children and certain people should not. And that valuation has been based upon income, upon geography, upon race. And so you see that show up in these policies and laws. And so, so frequently when there's a cry for um, a need for restrictions around access to uh, women's bodily autonomy, it's also tied to states that also do things like um, deny immigration into to their state or also decrease voter rights. So it is not a good strategy for us to silo out that this is only a conversation just about, um, you know, kind of patriarchy wanting to control women. And this is only a gender conversation because gender sits inside of race and class and all and religion and all these other hierarchies around of different oppressions. So what the state of Texas wants to hold on to is this independence as a Christian, white, male-led state. So you see that in every policy that they're currently um, sending out, including voting restrictions, including rules around immigration, including 
the access to contraception and abortion. What are some of the immediate impacts of SB8 and the decision that you've been hearing about? Yeah, you know, I mean, I practiced OBGYN in New Orleans, which is the next state over, and, and many um, people of my friends who I train with um, practice OBGYN in the state of Texas. And I have friends and family members who are birthing people in the state of Texas, and they're worried. They're a pregnant age. We see an increase in people requesting um, vasectomies and tubal ligations because they're nervous about their ability to have access to um, abortion going forward in the state. I have friends who are providers who've been asked to sign non-disclosure forms. If you're an OBGYN and you tell a patient, um, hi, you're eight weeks pregnant and you've just been diagnosed with breast cancer to maintain this pregnancy puts your life at risk. Are we allowed to even have that conversation under this current law? And is there someone that's this private citizen who can then sue you? So I have friends who are OBGYNs who the CEOs of the hospitals are, are making them sign letters saying that they won't be sued as well. And so this litigious, this idea that we're going to lawsuit our way, civil suit our way into freedom is how we see lack of access to um, contraception, abortion, voting in states like Texas. Most of your work has been to highlight the increased risk of maternal mortality and morbidity that Black women and birthing people face. How and to what extent will SB8 exacerbate these disparities? Yeah, well, Black birthing people were more likely to have um, the police called on them if they miscarried, right? They were all more likely to be not believed even prior to this law if they um, had a pregnancy complication. Just imagine, now we have vigilantes, we have private citizens who can call a hotline to say, I think I heard that this person was trying to terminate a pregnancy and they're being given a bounty of $10,000 if this turns out to be true. So that fear of already being hyper-policed, that fear of knowing that you're already um, at the whim of someone who doesn't believe you should be here in this country in the first place. Now you have private citizens who could actually benefit financially. Um, I don't know who, who it would be helpful for. How if for a state that has some of the worst birth outcomes in the world, not just in the United States, but in the world, to then now police women and people with the capacity for pregnancy, how is this going to end well for anybody? Is there anything that the NBC is working on to try and support these people or to combat this, as you say, culture of fear that is undoubtedly going to take hold of the state? Yeah, we're trying to work with our local partners who've been on the ground because the people on the ground know the local context and they're going to be your best advocates, your best strategy makers. Um, we don't want to come up with a strategy from afar that's more harmful. So really letting them take the lead on how best to ensure that the local um, people in the community are safe and, and not having harm. And so trying to be thoughtful around following the lead of our local um, colleagues. Unfortunately, all signs point to this not being limited to Texas and that other states will pass similar draconian legislation. Overall, this paints a bleak and concerning picture for abortion rights in the US. What can we do to fight back and support American women and birthing people? Yeah, I mean, I think the best way you can support us is to help support the people on the ground who are doing the work and they need always need dollars as of course, but then also, the lessons learned you have in these other countries, what are the laws and policies that we should be doing 
around ensuring that maternal health is a right. We don't have those. Um, we are just working on getting some basic human rights for our country. So how do we set up really a culture of respectful maternity care? We've been working on that to ensure that not just low-income countries are held accountable for respectful maternity care, but nations like the United States, like the UK, places that have high income should also honor maternal rights. And so we need to learn from these other nations on how do we have a culture of respectful maternity care? Dr. Crayer Perry, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.